One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Helen. I'm Stephen. And in a special, smaller, bijou, but nonetheless emergency, freighted with excitement, New Statesman podcast this week. We discuss the Brexit deal and its prospects for passing the House of Commons. And we ask, where's Jeremy Corbyn? Brexit deal, Stephen. Are you pumped? Um, yeah, well, uh, I mean... The thing Patrick and I always say to one another in the lobby is the kind of weird thing about Brexit is that if I were, you know, the London correspondent for the Washington Post or, you know, the Los Angeles Times or the New Yorker or whatever, I would be going, wow, this is an exciting story. I sure hope it works out fine for these people. And I'm certainly glad that I'm paid in dollars. But um, because unlike this hypothetical London correspondent, I do not have an American visa. Yeah. I'm not paid in dollars and I have no way to escape this country and almost everyone I know and care about also uh, lives here and cannot escape. That slightly tempers the exciting sense of history being made. So tell me, I've been uh, editing your column actually, so uh, I've only glanced at the headlines. What I've got so far is it looks like the backstop, which is the idea of the sort of the safety net, if we don't agree a future trading relationship, a free trade agreement, will apply initially to the whole of the UK. Right. Well, so... But will there also be some special provisions for Northern Ireland, which have made the DUP well upset and therefore they probably won't vote for it, depriving Theresa May of 10 very much needed votes to get it through the House of Commons? Yeah. So the draft outline, as I understand it, is that there is a a backstop to prevent in any circumstances a uh, border on the island of Ireland. There is a a more vague... So because basically the... I mean, one of the many, many avoidable mistakes that Theresa May has made is that we all talk about this as the Brexit deal, mm-hmm. uh, whereas, of course, what's actually being negotiated is the... Uh, divorce. With, yeah, which is basically the kind of like, we're getting divorced, and then some vague bit at the end of your divorce. I mean, obviously, no, this doesn't actually happen. But at the end of the divorce, we're like, and at some point now we've sold the house and agreed how it will be sold. We'll yeah, both and buy we'll flats. sort out how we look after the children between us after that. Yeah, yeah. Like it's one, and the slight odd thing is, is that by doing that, you have Tory MPs regularly saying... You know, like this trade deal must do action. It's just like, you're not, babe, that's not what's happening at this point. Right. Uh, so essentially, the the back, the Irish border is a divorce issue. The backstop to the backstop kind of goes in the kind of like future relationship stuff. Now, the idea essentially is that the problem that uh, conservatives who care about the union between the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland have is they don't want a Brexit that creates any type of border between Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom. The problem, of course, is the backstop is ultimately an insurance policy for the Irish government, and come what may, the border on the island itself won't change. Um, 
Now, there are two ways you can do that. You First, you go, well, the whole of the United Kingdom will stay in the single market and customs union as a kind of fallback option. Or you go, only Northern Ireland will 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 do that. Or at least we'll do it in the 323 or however many you know, 300, you know, areas that you would need to align to keep the border as it is. The problem is basically... Uh, well, isn't the problem basically that the European Research Group, the hardline Brexiters and the Tory party, won't accept a whole UK customs union in the long term, and the DUP won't accept a Northern Ireland-only customs union in, in the long term. So you're left with, like, some magical arrangement and, and a very, very close free trade agreement, presumably, that really effectively does something very close to a customs deal while also calling it like a flustums fleal so well, that you can get Liam Fox to agree to it. Yeah, I mean, this is this thing. Right? Essentially, the government's red lines and strategic objectives with reference to Northern Ireland can only be met by staying in the single market and uh, I can't believe it's not the customs union, right? The, that's... Or at least you can have some, presumably some kind of common travel area and just sort of take a hit on there being a bit of people smuggling or people coming in through that. Do you have to stay full bore single market to be able to make that work? Yes, because otherwise you have to, because basically otherwise, unless your plan is then both the EU and the United Kingdom decide they go WTO rules, we don't have to follow those anymore. Mm -hmm. If you have different customs and regulatory regimes, you have to have checks somewhere. Now, the thing that some uh, conservative MPs will go is like, oh, well, we could have trusted trader, trader regimes and have them further back from the border, which is one of the, well, the problem with a lot of the solutions to the Irish border problem uh, kind of, yeah, well, mostly start from the, well, they do this thing in Norway or they do this thing uh, That was in one of my favourite bits was that Chris Philp, a backbench Tory MP of no great uh, reputation, tweeted a picture of um, Basel in Switzerland or Basel, mm. depending on how we're pronouncing it, going like, look at all these free-flowing cars. And someone was like, this is actually like the holiday makers coming through the, like, here, here is the lane that has the lorries in and here is the massive, massive warehouse on Google Earth. It was one of my favourite Twitter threads as everybody basically just queued up to very patiently explain customs arrangements to Chris Philp. Yeah, I mean, and the other the other problem is, then, and this is one of the things which I find it troubling how many times this point needs to be reiterated, there has not been within uh, anyone's lifetime a violent civil war on the Swiss border, right? So, so Swiss just, are very much not up for that. Yeah, it's just like the, the, the two things are, are not comparable. And so the thing is, if, if you just... This thing is, if it were just, if it were an entirely non-kind of, if, if it were not a border that was within living memory, the subject of a a, a, a violent uh, civil war, then you would, you you yeah, actually, to be honest, you'd just go, well, look, Switzerland works fine, Norway works fine. The problem is, is then uh, any border infrastructure uh, becomes immediately politically fraught because it breaks the kind of constitutional settlement, which is then... If you want to, you can pretend that you live in a, a United Ireland, and if you want to, you can pretend that you can you can go. Well, I live in Northern Ireland, an unchallenged part of the United Kingdom, and everyone thinks this way, and that allows the the peace to endure. So you have to have some kind of special arrangement, and that cannot be met without uh, a Brexit that involves conceding a huge amount of sovereignty to the European Union. Okay, let's talk about maths, baby. Uh, 320 votes, right, to get this through the Commons. So yeah. Commons are 650 people. Take out the Sinn Féin MPs, who, despite everybody getting overexcited about a year ago, about when they come in and take their seats, no, um, and the Speaker and Deputies. So what you need is 320 votes. Where those, uh, where those little votes going to come from? So Kate Hoey was in Labour list today saying, I'm not here for this. This is not what I wanted. So presumably we can also align a couple of other Labour Eurosceptics with her? Well... So the thing about, you know, one of the slight maddening things, you know, kind of from a 
from a kind of succinctness on a podcast perspective is the, the joy of the Labour leavers is they are sadly not complete now Gisela Stewart has left Parliament. They are a, a near complete soil sample of the ideological breadth of the PLP. Uh, yeah, yeah so they're you have, a heterodox bunch. So you have someone on the left, someone on the old right, someone... But with the one except difference being, of course, that they are, unlike the majority of people in the PLP, pro-Brexit. But that kind of means that you mostly can't really generalise on them. So there's kind of, there's the the, the kind of Benite Brexiteers of, you know, like Dennis Skinner, uh, Kelvin Hopkins, who obviously is suspended following uh, allegations of sexual harassment, uh, and, and that sort of crowd who you could mostly, so if Dennis Skinner had written that article, you could go, right, we can chalk five votes off. Kate Hoey is, is you know... A law unto herself. A law, yeah, just, yeah, she's she's a kind of uh, political tradition that uh, doesn't really exist anywhere else among Labour leavers. So her saying, I won't vote for the government, doesn't necessarily say anything about anyone else. However, um, basically, of, of the, the seven Labour leavers, including the people who currently don't take the whip, five, the, the, um, the, the lefty ones have mostly been willing to vote against the government to bring the government down. Which is Den- the sort of Dennis Skinner position, Dennis, right? Yeah. So I think that's okay. So there's, there's there's seven Labour leavers, and as you say, pretty hard to see which way each one of them will... will yeah, I think basically six four. of them. So the five the five more left... Well, so the, the four more left-wing ones, plus Kate Hoey, and then maybe Graham Stringer, whose politics are even more hard to define. Uh, okay, then you have the DUP, who are really not looking like they're going to vote for this deal at all because yeah. of the Northern Ireland provisions. So that's 10 votes gone from the government side. And crucially, uh, that the government only needs to be down seven to be notionally losing, right? So right. the government is losing by three as it stands. The SNP are going to vote against. Yep. Plaid Cymru vote against. Yep. Caroline Lucas of the Greens will vote against. Yep. Labour are going to vote against. Yeah. Unless they have a massive meltdown and just go, oh, we can't be seen to be blocking Brexit. And um, but I think at the first time of this vote, that's not looking likely. Even if it, if it comes around again, who I knows think what so. It the, the internal battle. I yeah, I think honestly, I think uh, if the more kind of uh, you know well Brexit members of of, of uh, Jeremy Corbyn's sort of top team had uh, paid better attention to Keir Starmer's six tests, I think they probably would not have signed up to them. <laughs> because the thing about the six tests is they are designed to finesse voting against them, right? They're politically quite smart because you're essentially going, you've promised me the moon on a stick. Test one is not I would like the stick to be made of mahogany. Text two is I want a real moon, not like Fomos, Demos or any of that shit. I want the moon moon and so on and so forth. But you you cannot finesse voting for the deal or abstaining because of this, the six tests cannot be met, right? They mm-hmm. are impossible to pass. And then you've got a good chunk of, uh, we would assume, uh, leave, yeah, ultra-hard Brexiteers who can't uh, vote for it. You know, we've been hearing noises from the sort of Steve Baker kind of access. Don't know quite how many of those there are. We're recording this on Tuesday night, so there may well have been cabinet flounces. I believe that is my new favourite verb of people leaving the cabinet uh, overnight. Uh, who knows? Um, and then actually you've got the other wing of the Tory party, the Remain wing, who don't want to vote for it like, in the Joe Johnson style. So Joe Johnson resigned last week as a transport minister and actually I thought gave a, a really brilliant statement. And I don't say that just because I kind of agreed with it, but actually he he grounded it in being a constituency MP, right? He was like, Orpington's going to be a lorry park. And actually, you think that the citizens of Orpington probably, however they felt about Brexit, and they were pretty Brexity, are not really massively up for that. Yeah. And so, I mean, so basically, the, there's there are kind of two, two schools of pro-European thought. The Joe Johnson one is basically, although obviously he did not uh, put it like this for, you know, kind of 
I want to assume is family reasons, where you know someone like Philip Lee will explicitly say, um, "Look, this this you mandate lied is, on a bus. yeah, this mandate <laughs> is based on a lie. We cannot. There is no uh, there is no way to honor it, right? Because you you either sell out on sovereignty or you sell out on economic damage, um, but you you cannot um, you cannot honor it. Which means that the only way to uh, fix the problem is to go. Here's what the real Brexit looks like. Do you want the real Brexit or do you want to stay in? And that's sort of one school of of conservatives, uh, pro European conservatives against the deal. Then there's the kind of um, yeah, the ones who you know tend to be ones who are more against referenda, full stop, or don't think it can be won, or think and um, to be honest, I do find it hard to disagree with their argument on this one, given that you could not have a referendum on the deal. Uh, that was well. You probably it would, it's quite difficult to see how you have a referendum on the deal which doesn't include the option for no deal. Um, right, and this is your point about what's the point of being a representative democracy if you're going to let people vote for not having any medicine. Well, yeah, the thing is, like the the you know, the whole point of why you know why do we elect MPs and I don't just sit there you know vengeance on Varos style voting while looking at my TV screen. Well, the the answer is is that they have time expertise. to be across it <laughs> yeah. expertise and you don't end up in a situation in which you go bring back flogging yeah yeah let's have a vote on whether or not maybe we do run out of food medicines and planes can't fly and i think yeah it is hard to it is hard to sustain the argument for why we have mps if if that is allowed to happen okay but i think we'll have to wrap this up but i have i spoke to an mp last week he said there's no majority in the commons for anything other than chaos because there's no majority for no deal right either which is technically well the, the a thing that they thing would is, be asked to vote on yeah, no, i mean no, they could they, they could i mean that could happen by the the clock running out right this thing the point about there there was a vote a majority in parliament for no deal it was the article 50 vote by doing that mp's countenanced Mm-hmm. Uh, countenance no deal that is intrinsic to article 50 uh i'm so i think this is the thing right like no deal i think feels uh far and away the most likely outcome it's the only thing which doesn't require anyone to uh, it's to what move. happens if everything else fails right and it looks at the moment like everything else is going to fail so uh the message from the new states from pod bunker is stockpile food <laughs> For a couple of decades between the First and Second World Wars, something mysterious happened. There were murders in country houses, on golf courses, in far-flung parts of the globe and quaint English villages. No fictional character was safe. Because these events were all fictional, the plots of novels that flooded the market in the 1920s and 30s. People couldn't get enough of all of the inventive ways that writers like Agatha Christie, Dorothy L. Sayers and more could think of for people to die. This period came to be known as the golden age of detective fiction, and for good reason. So that's what I'm going to be doing in this podcast, telling the stories that lurk in the shadows of the famous detective novels. If you've ever stayed up late reading under the covers to find out who done it, then this podcast is for you. Find us at shedoneitshow.com, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as SheDoneItShow, and in all major podcast apps. 
Where's Jeremy Corbyn? That's the question I've asked in my column this week, uh, Stephen. What's what's the old lad up to? Um, well, so on Thursdays, he tours the country and, you know, does rallies, talks to people, campaigns, gets out and about. He obviously doesn't see uh, Westminster, uh, you know, as that has never been his where he sees his strengths. Those also aren't uh, where his strengths are. So his, 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 his perception of, of where he should be is entirely correct. What I've written in my column this week, and actually this is the bit I haven't written, is that I actually, you know, there was that plan in during the coup uh to like give him a sort of ceremonial role and be party president, which I know was their way of going like, you know, good night, enjoy the pocket watch. Let's, we'd like to shuffle you off into the sunset. But actually that role would really massively suit him. Being like the queen style head of state and then with a, then a prime minister actually running, it would sort of really play to his sprints, right? Because he's really good and like he he loves doing the, the one-on-one stuff with the community organisers on a Thursday. He loves being a constituency MP. He loves getting on trains, going to talk to rallies. What he doesn't love is being in the commons, you know, working at the whipping operation of something or the humble address that they're going to ask for the legal text. I think there are two reasons why that wouldn't work. The first is, of course, is while the actual royal family can get away with the fact that many people uh, uh, believe them to be a, a, a little bit racist and disagree with what they believe to be their position on a variety of things, not least brutalism. But... Um, and that they're lizards. Uh, uh, however, it is seeing as that is the view of at least some Corbyn sceptics in the Labour Party, it is hard to see how uh, that is a sustainable uh, end state. I also think ultimately, like the the reason why uh, the rallies and stuff, uh, you know, worked last time and, and may it turn out work next time in the election, is because of the control over the policy agenda. Right. So the 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 president stuff doesn't really work. Other than that, the the open question is whether or not. Um, now, obviously, at the last election, in terms of votes, which was in the draw, obviously it did matter a great deal in terms of seats. Um, the not doing the kind of Westminster theatre stuff didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like the, you know, we are uh, on the brink of a vote which has the potential to, you know, to either, um, you know, put Labour in an unassailable position as far as the next election is concerned, or to break its coalition into parts. Uh, or to end up in a situation in which we have the kind of present standoff where it's hard to see how anyone will win a majority for transformational change or or anything like it. And we know that Labour is going to vote against uh, the the deal. And you know, if someone asked me what are the tactical reasons for it, I could explain what their tactical plan is. Imagine that you are uh, one of the leader's office's outriders and you are on TV and you need to defend. Maybe um, I am, Stephen. Maybe I'm in that WhatsApp group secretly and I've been playing the long game. I'm like one of those Russian moles that's been, you know, just in American society for 20 years. I'm going to burst out and go full Bastani just before the next election. I mean, that could be true, I guess. I mean, that's exactly what someone who was a long-term mole would double bluff you by saying. I know. I don't think, having read more about spies this year than I really like to think about for the uh, the Bailey Gifford, very few moles did spend time just being like, "Well, say I was a mole." You know, just, <laughs> just throwing that out there. Experiment. Uh, mostly, it turns out that moles spend all of their time being like, "They know. Oh God, they know. I'm going to die." But yeah, say I was a Labour leader outrider. Say you're a Labour leader outrider. What is the? Because the thing you can't say if you are a, an outrider or a shadow cabinet minister is, you see, uh, the six tests are actually a really clever trap. Because it, it, although it's fine for them to be a clever trap, your argument to the country can't be like, no, no, don't worry, we're 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 just trapping them. Yeah. Because it means that what we're just you playing are, with you. What you're explicitly saying is that you care more about an early election than you do about the risk of a, a no deal Brexit. And it's kind of small things like that 
world is in, yeah, like which and for most of the last parliament for a large chunk of this one haven't really mattered mm. it may be thanks to first past the post thanks to the state of of the uh, you know thanks to the state of the liberal democrats thanks to the greens low profile and the fact that there's really nowhere they can realistically uh challenge labor uh, if you look at the 2017 uh results then it may be that actually there is nowhere for for pro remain votes to go regardless of what labor does so so maybe that will be fine from their perspective but it would deeply trouble me if I were in their shoes that they don't really have a line to take on why it is they are going to vote against the Brexit deal than isn't... Because um, election? Because election, which is is difficult because it has the same problem that May's early election had. Then what is What was the argument May had in her early election for why the early election was good for UI or anyone else? None. It, no, it would be really good for me because I'll have a whacking great majority and then I'll be able to do what I yeah. goddamn like. And Labour is basically in the same position. Okay, well, uh, in that case, probably if I was Jeremy Corbyn, I'd be down my allotment too. But nonetheless, I find it a little bit, a little bit sad. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Helen Lewis, and my co-host, Stephen Bush. We're recorded by India Bork and produced by Caroline Crampton. Our theme music is from the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Stay tuned. The website will be literally buzzing with all of the Brexit news following this week, uh, as we think it's probably going to get pretty bumpy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.